This is Ballot Vox, the Pointer's coverage of the upcoming 2022 provincial and municipal elections. Reporting today, San Graywall. There are so many issues and dynamics, very complex problems around long-term care in our society, in this province. The pandemic, as you've probably heard, it's, this has become a cliche. It has exposed, it's sort of ripped the bandage off a lot of the systemic problems, the things that have really gone on unaddressed for decades. And an interesting dimension around long-term care is the need for the province to start recognizing that, you know, Ontario is a very, very pluralistic society. You know, it, it has an incredibly diverse makeup. And with that, one of the things that we sometimes forget when talking about, you know, the complexities around long-term care is the need to make sure that we match residents with, you know, the type of support that's suited to them. And I'm not going to get into the details because we have someone who's going to be way better at that than me. Gurpreet Malhotra is with us. He's the head of uh, the Indus Community Services, which is a, a fantastic social services agency that does just, uh, I can't tell you how, how important the work that you guys do, Gurpreet and Peel, is to support all kinds of service delivery and, and program delivery and, and help to residents in Peel. Uh, Gurpreet, thanks so much for joining us. And tell me, picking up on what I was getting at, when we talk about long-term care, what are the unique problems that you deal with and that you see in, in Peel region? Well, Peel, as you said, is so, so diverse. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, the agency is fiercely multicultural, but proud to have a, a depth of uh, expertise in supporting the South Asian community. In Peel, 430,000 South Asians living here, you, you, you certainly get the idea that about a third of services should be able to support that huge chunk of the community. One of the biggest barriers we see is that there are, there isn't a diversity in the services. The services tend to be very uh, focused on, on on the mainstream community, if you will, and uh, English, food, if you will, uh, Canadian, and that creates a, a significant number of barriers for accessing services in all sorts of ways, but particularly for, for seniors who may have other frailties and, and, and would be in need of food they recognize, staff that speak their language, program of activities that ties into their culture and, 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 and who they are as, uh, as Canadians who've, who've lived here for many years uh, but happen to be of South Asian descent. Gurpreet, during the pandemic, one of the, the real tragedies that unfolded in, in this country, it really took place in Peel and Brampton it was basically the demographic consequences of, you know, having policies that promote growth and it, it promotes the settlement of newcomers and promotes diversity in a lot of ways. And it wants to capitalize on uh, a labor force that can offer Canadian society and our, and our markets and our economy uh, a lot of what it needs in terms of essential work. But with all of that, very little understanding about how a place like Brampton needs to be supported. The pandemic showed us that, you know, all of these folks working in essential work, doing the types of jobs that keep the supply chains going, that keep our economy running, 
it exposed them during the pandemic. And one of the corollaries of this was that in, in large, you know, multi-generational houses, which are very common in Brampton, as Gurpreet, you can explain in a second, you know, the cultural tradition around the way the elderly have been looked after, the pandemic sort of, you know, it, it exposed why that maybe doesn't always work in a, not just a Western context, but I guess you could say in our modern context. Could you talk a little bit about what the pandemic has shown us in terms of the need for alternatives to house our seniors, specifically in the South Asian community? Yeah, one of the one of the first things we saw was that the chronic underfunding of Brampton, Brampton and uh, and Caledon and areas north that, that used to be called the Central West Lynn, is annually short one billion dollars of ongoing funding. That's not hospitals. That's not primary care doctors. That's all the other types of care, including long term care, including diabetes screening and 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 mental health and addiction support. So we were at a huge disadvantage to start off with receiving 50 cents on the dollar of the average Ontarian um, when it came to those aspects of healthcare. Then, as you rightly point out, everything around logistics and um, trucking things in and, 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 and warehousing and then moving them back out to the rest of the country, that interaction highlighted, uh, um, if you will, uh, vectors for, for transmission of the virus. And then you added the other piece, and that is family structure. The South Asian family structure is proudly one of uh, family taking care of their own. But I have to add, they really don't have another choice. Many other families of other backgrounds around the, the region and the GTA and beyond are able to access culturally appropriate long-term care. We don't have that. The South Asian community does not have that. There are uh, a couple of neighborhood of 40 to 5 or so beds in Markham run by Yi Hong that are focused on the South Asian community. And then that's it. There aren't any others. So we've been struggling to build uh, in partnership, in part with uh, Trillium and Yi Hong in Mississauga, and then on our own in Brampton. And both projects meeting ongoing challenges. But I should point out that what COVID also showed us is that the South Asian community ended up with something like at the peak, 58% of the cases, even though it was only 32% of the population. And that's when we were able to do grassroots work to reach out to people, to explain to them factual information, uh, how to get to testing, and then eventually how to get to vaccination and double vaccination. And now we're working on boosters and, and uh, rapid antigen testing. That The community listened, the community tied in. The fact that we had seniors living uh, with as part of extended family actually does show up in some of the early stats where the system was properly recording race, that 32% of the population, 58% of the cases, but not as bad a a percentage of the uh, hospitalizations, and in fact, a lower percentage of cases ending in death. So what that indicated was that, yes, maybe more people got sick, but the care system, the informal care systems built around might have actually played a role in keeping people healthier as they were able to fight off the the, the virus in their families and and helped each other to get through. So there's a a good research happening now, but the the story is yet to be told on exactly what was a a negative and what might have actually ended up being a positive. Gurpreet, can you do me a favor? Can you speak to 
two different segments out in the public. So for listeners that represent, you know, what you might call the mainstream, you know, who might not come from a culture or a part of the world where extended family living, multi-generational family living, you know, is part of what you're familiar with. It's part of your, your lived experience, but then also, you know, to all those who, who do understand what a culture that for various reasons values the need to care for its members under one roof, you know, to live, you know, in an extended family, in a multi-generational family. To both, can you address why something like culturally appropriate, culturally matched long-term care or assisted living supports those types of features in our Canadian society, why it's important. Because one of the things I think we forget is that there are a lot of families, you know, whether they be, you know, Italian or Greek or Portuguese or Pakistani Canadian or Indo-Canadian or wherever they're from, Chinese Canadian. It's quite often that sometimes people steeped in those particular traditions just can't imagine letting go of one of the one of those traditions and 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 maybe placing elderly parents in a long-term care setting or in an assisted living situation where they're not under the family roof can you first address those individuals and then maybe the more mainstream side of this where where people might un- not even understand or they can't really contemplate what the issue of culturally appropriate long-term care is all about? A piece of it is that in many of the cultures that you mentioned, there's an attachment, an expectation, a cultural expectation that one will take care of their seniors, in part because a lot of those cultures or nations that they'd come from didn't have an alternative. There wasn't, there isn't a, a, a history, if you will, of, of, of having the elderly in a household live apart. It's quite different. You want them to live with you. But there is another element to that. And that was also in a time when people didn't live that much longer. And so the the advent of improved health care has meant that people living into their 90s is not rare. But what that does mean is that the quality of life, the difficulty of perhaps providing care in a suburban home to a father-in-law who may need assistance with bathing and other kinds of supports, that sort of difficulty is something that we need to take into account when we deal with with uh, people and, and what it is they'd want for their families. Um, but I think within the mainstream community, more and more people are beginning to have an expectation that there's going to be someone who can help. There is a stage at which uh, someone becomes too heavy a care burden on a family, on a busy family with growing children, a uh, household to run, and if both, uh, if you will, adult children are in the home, busy careers. So you add those together and we, you, you find that the need for the support is really present. In fact, the Chinese community is a wonderful example for us to look to. They, they have a population smaller than the, the, the South Asian community in, across the GTA and in Ontario, but they have uh, something in the neighborhood of uh, 1,800 long-term care spaces. And Yi Hong, one of our partners on a the project, they have a five-year wait list locally. 
So at first, it may seem that it's not part of the culture, but as they build and have built, their own communities have recognized us as the Italian and the Polish and each of the ones that you mentioned, that there is a, a, a special place needed where dignity can be provided, professional care can be provided, and um, a quality of life can be upheld. And that is something that is missing from the South Asian community and missing for, for, for uh, other communities, but specifically ours in the Brampton area. And that's why we're, we're hopeful still that we'll be able to to build the, the 192 bed project that we've been uh, tasked with uh, putting together. Gurpreet, could you detail the project, talk a little bit about what you've been trying to get from the city of Brampton? And, and also, right off the bat, tell us a little bit about what culturally appropriate care looks like, you know, everything from language to the food that you eat, you know, to your surroundings, entertainment, why it sort of can be both a barrier if you don't have it. But as you said, looking at the Chinese Canadian community, it can be a real solution if you're creative and you understand the need and and why there's like a real human element to the provision of culturally appropriate care. The idea is that, well, I ended up having some high-level officials visit us uh, once, uh, you know, Deputy Minister of Health and, and, and at the time, uh, heads of local LINs. Uh, and and uh, we were able to, it was lunchtime for our clients to, in our adult day service. And so we'd ordered a, a few extra lunches. And so they had that. So they had a, a simple vegetarian South Asian meal and all really enjoyed it and loved it. And it was very novel for them. All of them were white. And Everyone was pleased with the opportunity. And and so what I reminded them was, you know, your, your guests visiting us, and this is wonderful, and this is part of the, the, the culture for us to, to do this. But can you imagine what it would be like if every day in a long-term care setting, you would now be receiving a nice South Asian meal, both north, south, east, and west, uh, the, the type of a, a meal every day? for lunch and something equivalent for dinner and, and snack time and that kind of a thing. How would you feel then? Because that's what we're doing to South Asians who don't have access to customized food who are in mainstream homes now. So everyone got it. The, the idea is that, yeah, you know, it's nice to try different things and, 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 and foods from different backgrounds. Um, and that's great. And that's actually part of the Canadian experience. But on an ongoing basis, on a on a tough Monday or on a, on a, on a uh, day of the week where, where, where you're you're hanging out with some friends in your home, which is what a long term care is, uh, your home, for you not to get food you feel comfortable with, recognize, look forward to, really impedes, I think, how you feel, how you you look at things, how what what you look forward to, and how how you 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 enjoy life. Yeah, there's like our our producer Jeff Chalmers, who's a very worldly person, but I'm not quite sure how much egg bougia and somber uh, Jeff could handle. Like maybe once in a while, but if he was eating it 24 seven, uh, he might have a little bit of a, <laughs> a hankering for some bangers and mash, or yeah. you know whatever it might be. But yeah, that's a really interesting way of sort of flipping it over. And 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 talk to us a little bit what about like even like language and just having staff that have culturally relatable experiences and fellow residents who can share and participate in, you know, the life of a long-term care facility and breathe, you know, their own kind of 
unique cultural features that that make it feel home and comfortable and whatnot. It, it's it's hard to grasp, isn't it? It it, it is, and 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 there's an added component to this because some of the reasons that that our uh, uh, our seniors end up in long term care sometimes focus on cognitive impairment, dementia, or a, a, other situations set in that create a a, a frailty in them that. that they may have been doing business for the last 45 years in Canada in, in, in fluently in English, but but uh, will we'll revert to Gujarati or Punjabi or, or the, the, their mother tongue as the, the disease takes further hold. So it doesn't become a convenient thing. It becomes the only way in, in which they can communicate. So that it's really important to not just have food you recognize, but people who can speak your language, that can identify um, the, what it is you're asking for, can seat you with others that wish to play carom or play a, a card game named Flash together, or will get that you'd, you'd want a, a, a particular uh, Lata Mageshka song uh, to honor her as she recently passed playing in the background so it's not just about preference uh, on a vacation kind of a mode what would i like sometimes it, it's it's actually just boilerplate basic i cannot communicate with you in any other way and i need you to be able to speak the language that uh, that uh, the only one i now remember as i perhaps decline so that, that part works. Talk to us about what you're doing in Brampton, what, you, what you're hoping to get off the ground, and, 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 and the challenges dealing with the city. Yeah, uh, we, we were approved in, in March of 22, after three years of an application process and refining it, et cetera. Sorry, March of 21, for us to build 192-bed, culturally appropriate long-term care. And so what we were aiming to do is build a non-religious, non-profit, charitable organization, you know, driven long-term care for the South Asian community in, in Brampton. It's got a very large base there and and, and the need uh, in our estimation is, is really high. So we wished to build in, in the city and we were thrilled to see in, in, in March of last year when the city gave an, another community five acres of land uh, in the, on the Flower Town campus on a 50-year favorable lease so their nonprofit could build a long-term care home. I believe it's a 160-bed project. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that was geared towards the Vietnamese Canadian community. That's right. Council then passed a resolution saying, we will help any charitable organization based and working in Brampton who would like to do similar work and we will provide similar support to them. And so we immediately asked and and, and, and the, the city immediately responded with, yes, we, we, we'd like to work with you to see how this could move forward. And frankly, it, it hasn't moved forward. They first asked us to go find land that we'd be interested in, which is a, a lot harder than than asking them. Well, what land do you have? Um, and 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 then we can pick from that as opposed to carte blanche. And then later we're, we're told that uh, you know here are some developers that you could talk to and buy land from them. It's like, well, no, we'd like to have the same situation, the same kind of deal as your council resolution offered of of support to build this much needed asset. And then the city was able to say that look, we do have some options here. We selected from the options and then. We're told that those aren't available and that the city now, almost a year from the start, has not been able to identify a pocket of land that they could make arrangements. In the meantime, two groups building homes have approached the city and for a break on developmental charges. So land on a really favorable lease 
and now a reduction in development charges. And so we're, we're left asking, what are we doing wrong? The, the number of times I've asked, what can we do to help you to help us? And been told that, yes, it's, it's coming. We're working on it. We've been focused on this. It, it's, a, it's a big deal to us. But unfortunately, San, at this stage, I don't have anything I could tell you is a plan in progress. And we are nearing the March 23rd of this year, where the, the one-year period where we were, we were to secure land and then arrange financing, we're running out of time. And that poses a, a significant uh, fear for all of us uh, and our volunteers that are, that are trying to get something good off the ground. And my understanding is that council is now looking to some sort of a balance, a mix of land conveyance and breaks on development charges. So each group will ultimately receive equal benefits, but it might be some kind of combination of the break on the development charges. So the fees that that have to be paid to put in all the public features around, you know, a new building. So you might get a little bit of a break on some of those fees, but you might get some land, but a combination of both to make sure that all groups get an equal benefit. And, you know, we'll see what they have to come up with. And, and you know, Gurpreet, lastly, if you could talk a little bit about the province ahead of the election in June, there's there's obviously going to be a lot of attention paid to the long, long-term care sector. It's been brutally mismanaged for... I would say at least 20 years. Um, you know, it started with the Harris government and the, you know, briefly Ernie Eves, but throughout the Liberals under Dalton McGuinty and Kathleen Wynne, it was just completely neglected. It, it's not like one party or the other deserves any more blame. They're kind of equally, you know, responsible for just the, the sheer neglect of the sector. We, we, we all know uh, what the pandemic has revealed. And now, it seems like this election, you know, long-term care, like, I mean, let's face it. I mean, demographics, you know, 65 plus, it's probably the v- biggest voting group. They turn out in droves at the polls just on population alone. They're a huge demographic. And again, you know, we're, we're all going to be there eventually. You know, we're all going to need care. As you said, we're living way longer than ever before. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone wants to be put in a situation, you know, like what we just witnessed for the last two years, you know, this horror story. But with all of that, can you speak to the importance of not forgetting if we make this a ballot issue and if we put pressure on all the candidates, you know, ahead of the June election around what needs to be done in long-term care, can you talk about what needs to be done to make sure these cultural dynamics and, and the need for, you know, spaces and infrastructure that's culturally reflective of our society to make sure that that's also understood, that that's part of the conversation. It has to be. I mean, I, I imagine, um, and as many of us do, when COVID's gone, that there will be statues erected to, to remember the thousands of seniors that suffered alone and died in a way that many would think of as preventable, especially in a society like ours. So I, I think we will be very focused for a long time as a society on how do we treat our seniors? Because our goal is to become a healthy senior or to pass. I mean, you, you, you don't have the, you know, you don't have a big choice in this. This is 
what's coming all of our way. And then to remain a healthy senior, what that might mean to someone may mean that their partner is receiving some supports at home or receiving some supports in an institution and that one day we might too. No one plans on long-term care for themselves, but it is a reality that many of us will be able to get there. So I think now we're We've got our eyes focused on good infection prevention and control, building safe spaces, affordable spaces for our seniors who are the generation that raised us, that are the generation that paid those taxes, that made the, uh, the, the society as it is, that we treat them with the dignity they deserve across the whole continuum. And yes, we hope that, no, you, you never need help. But it's safe to say that at some point we all will. And if that's the case, there's a huge incentive for us to be aware of um, an improved and better system. And I think any politician of any party had better be paying really close attention to this. I'm sure, San, you've done the same thing that over our, our voting careers, we voted in long-term cares and in other seniors' residences because that's where the polling station actually was. Uh, I don't imagine that'll be the case this cycle through, but it gives you an idea that this is a very powerful voting demographic. And there are many of us who saw our loved ones suffer and, and this cannot stand and must be addressed by whoever wins the, the upcoming election. Gurpreet Malhotra, Chief Executive Officer of Indus Community Services. I want to thank you for being with us today and for all of your advocacy, not just you know around long-term care in general, but with the project you want built in Brampton, a new long-term care facility for the South Asian community. It's badly needed. The pointer is going to stay on top of that story. And to everyone else, thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Ballot Box was hosted by Sam Graywall, produced by Anupal Thacker and yours truly. Join us next week for continuing coverage of the upcoming provincial and municipal elections. I'm Jeff Chalmers. Thank you for listening. Talk to you then.